this morning we're looking at uh, Luke chapter 12. Uh, so if you've got your Bible, you can open up to it. We're going to be going through this, this passage. Uh, and we're in our series, the, the Grace of Giving, and what it looks like to be, be generous. And we're not just talking about uh, generous in uh, money, financial giving, but we're talking about being generous as uh, a people, generous in every aspect of life, uh, in, in every way, uh, because God is a generous God. And we want to reflect his character. And so this morning we turn to a great little story, uh, a story I really love um, about building barns. Um, I've never built a barn, uh, but one day I'd like to build a shed, um, store all my stuff uh, that I've accumulated. So this uh, parable hits close to to my heart, at least. Um, But the story starts with Jesus in Luke 12, verse 13. Uh, Jesus is speaking with his disciples. He's speaking to the crowd. uh, And uh, someone yells out. So then someone called from the crowd, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus replied, Friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Then he said, Beware. Guard against every kind of greed. So here we've got uh, some stranger. We don't know. It's a random guy. Uh, we, we don't um, know his story. Uh, but he comes with, and it's not even a question, is it, that he comes with here. He's not even saying, hey, teacher, what should I do? Or how, you know, what, what's the answer or solutions? Basically, it's, it's a demand. Teacher, tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Now, I'm not going to get stuck on... Um, inheritance rights in, in early Judaism and uh, how that inheritance works back then. We didn't know whether it's the younger brother, oldest brother, one of ten, one of two. We, we, we just don't know the circumstance. What is important here is Jesus doesn't give him an answer. He just says, uh, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Um, but then he does something that is quite judge-like. Uh, he speaks some truth. Uh, so he takes this opportunity. Ah, here's somebody who's asking a very simple question. It's a question about my entitlements, about my money, about my fair share, about, you know, um, his heart's about, you know, what I can get. And so Jesus takes this opportunity to address the crowd more broadly about general wealth and, and about greed. Beware, really strong word here, beware, watch out, be on guard against every kind of evil. Now, when I was preparing this, I got stuck on this every kind of greed. Isn't there just greed? What do you mean every kind of greed? Are there different types, kinds of greed? Um, And if there is, what are they? Uh, Could I stand up here and just rattle them off? Um, If I asked you guys to to write a list, what would they be? Well, as it turns out, with a little bit of Googling, um, you find out there's all different, numerous ways that people try and categorise greed and the types of greed there are. Here is... Four helpful ways I find of thinking about greed, that the kinds of greed that exist. Uh, so first we have hoarding. Uh, is anyone brave enough here to, to confess to hoarding? Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, ex- excellent. Some self-confessed hoarders. Now, to be honest, it's probably the easiest one to confess to. Um, so the rest of your hands will be coming up for the next three because as I look down this list of four, I can't help but be challenged by all four of them. I, I go, oh, there's a little bit of that in me in all of them. Some resonate stronger than others, but these really hit home, these. Uh, so hoarding. Now, hoarders, uh, that's the type of greed we find specifically in, in this parable that Jesus is about to share with us. It's the, the, the hoarding kind of greed. 
but hoarding. Um, now, I want to say this from the start. Let's just clear this up. There is nothing wrong with accumulating wealth, okay? As we look at the, the Old Testament, as we look at the, the New Testament, um, God blesses and prospers many of the saints, many of the patriarchs and, and those who um, you know, love God, follow him faithfully. Not always right, but, but blessing and prosperity financially and riches are often part of that story. Um, there's nothing wrong with accumulating money. The Proverbs speaks a lot about it. It speaks a lot about uh, if you are not like a sluggard, if you work hard and diligently... You can uh, and will be rewarded. Uh, and so God doesn't have anything against that. We looked at that last week, saying that uh, not money is the root of all evil, but the love of money is the root of all evil. So nothing wrong with accumulating money. Uh, but hoarders believe that they can't be generous with what they've hoarded. Okay, Hoarders believe that, that what is mine, what I've hoarded, is, is for my use, and it's for me only. It's not for others. And there lies the problem. Uh, they have to make things secure for themselves. They have to make sure they've got enough to prepare themselves, to, to plan ahead, to, to cover themselves, regardless of what might come their way. And so it's all for them. Then there's overspending. Now, overspenders, they confuse needs and wants. Okay? Overspenders think the things that they want are actually needs. That when they see something at the shop, oh, I want that. But they don't say, I want that. They say, I need that. I need that. Look at it. Look how shiny and new it is. Look how fast it goes. <laughs> look, look at how much that would improve my life if I just had that. I need it. I need it. And so overspenders do exactly that. They overspend. And so, of course, they don't have any more money to give away because they've spent it all on themselves. Because let's face it. Who doesn't have a long list of wants in life? All of us. And so they overspend. Then there's comparison. This is keeping up with the Joneses. Uh, that's an Australian saying. It means we look at that family. Um, now, it's just a shame I'm not at PM because I could look at the Jones family. Um, we have a Jones family in the church. Oh, no, no, sorry, I do have a Jones <laughs> There we go. Ian Jones, where all eyes are on you. We're keeping up with Ian. You set the benchmark, Ian. Um, I plum forgot about that. Um, so keeping it... Oh, and Frithard Jones. We've got multiple Jones. <laughs> what am I talking about? We've got plenty of Joneses around here. In fact, we're all Joneses, really. Uh, we've got a three. Eileen Jones. She hears one. There you go. We've got plenty of Joneses. Um, plenty of people to look up to. Um, but comparison, it's always about, you know what? I really like the house they live in. I want that kind of house. And the car they drive. And that holiday they went on. I want to go on holidays like that. And we compare ourselves. And we constantly want to, to live. And it's about fitting in. It's about um, being like other people. It's about belonging. It's about having the clothes that others are and eating at the same places our friends are and going to the same schools our friends are, their kids. Uh, it's about comparing ourselves. And so, of course, that costs money to keep that up. And, of course, the problem with keeping up with Joneses, they're keeping up with you. Um, and who... I'm sorry, but I do not want to, to try and keep up with all your lives. I see some of your lives on Facebook. 
I see the cafes you go to and the breakfasts you eat on Saturday mornings and, and the, the holidays you have. And I see all that. that that's a lot to keep up with. Um, and, and the Joneses is not just one family. It's the Joneses. Uh, you know, it's the best of all of us. You know, we've got to keep up with that. It's a high, high benchmark. And so we are, yeah, comparison. And fourthly, entitlement. Entitlement. Uh, I am entitled to this. Entitled people believe the lie that they deserve it. They deserve everything. That's just, it's just, there's no question of it. It's just, I should have the best. I should have that. I should have it. And even if they can't afford it, they think others should pay the price for it. You should give it to me. You should, and they just take, take, take uh, because they're entitled. Now, I've done it again. I skipped my illustration for comparison because um, I had so many Joneses to contend with. Um, now, comparison. Um, I just want to give a little perspective here, okay? This is important. What I've done is gone and got uh, some statistics from Canberra. These are Canberra figures. And so what it does is it ranks uh, those family household incomes and where they sit in the percentage of where you fit in the, the general population. So in Canberra, if you earn $23,265, thereabouts, uh, you are part of the, or less, you are, you're in the lowest 5% of earners, income earners in... Um, now, for some of you who are retired going, I don't have income, well, I'm in the lowest 5%. Um, the way we measure wealth and, and prosperity is, is not just income, but general wealth as well, um, your assets and, and your savings. Um, but this is just general income. Um, the average income in Canberra is about $70,000, household income. Um, that's about the average. And so if you are in the average or above, I would say most of us are in that category. Um, you, you're certainly not in the bottom 35%. You, you're in the, the middle to the top half. Um, if you're double-income family, you're probably over 100, particularly if you're full-time. Um, you know, we're looking at the, the top, um, top end of, of that scale. That's if we compare ourselves. If we want to play the comparison game and you want to go, how wealthy am I? Um, that gives an idea if you're comparing yourself to Canberrans. What happens, though, if we, we broaden that comparison? What happens if we go, hey, let's not just compare uh, ourselves with Canberrans. What if we compare ourselves to the rest of the world? So... Website, richest, uh, what's the website called, do you remember? No, neither do I. Um, Mark Beresford knows, he's the one that put us onto it. Um, you type in your annual income and it pops up with this lovely display. So we put in $70,000 and what did it come up with? It said if you earn $70,000 or more a year, uh, you're in the top 0.4% of, of people in the world. Now, I've never been in the top 0.4% in anything. Uh, you know, I'm a P equals degree kind of guy. Um, <laughs> um, the, the, if I get a credit, that's good. A distinct, the odd distinction, that's nice. Um, being the top 4%, wow, that's incredible. So when we play the comparison game, you know, there's always someone richer than us and we can play that game. But when we stop and, and take a, a real measure of how we measure up to, to people, this is where we stand. We are in the top. You are the elite of, of the wealthy people in the world. Now, if we go back to our, our four kinds of greed, you'll find that each one of these kinds of greed 
a tapping into a, a particular goal, a, a heart motivation, a, a desire. And these aren't necessarily bad things. There are things we want to achieve in life. I, I think God's put in each of us desires um, that, that need to be fulfilled, want to be fulfilled. And we have a choice about how we fulfill that. And greed, of course, chooses to fulfill that through, through wealth and, and, and money. So let's have a look. When we think about hoarding, gathering, we're really tapping into this sense of security, that, that I can secure my life, I can ensure it, I can make sure that when things go wrong, that, that I, I can survive that, that I can um, ride the ups and downs because I'm secure, because my money brings me that wealth um, that can get me through the tough times. Um, I can maintain my lifestyle and my living standard if I have enough. And so that, that, that's that, that motivation for time hoarding. Uh, with overspending, um, it's this sense of contentment, that there's someone constantly searching for contentment, that if I just had that, if I just could experience that, if I could just um, own that, that nice new laptop, it would organise my entire life. You know, Whatever the, the, the thing is, uh, but it's a search for contentment, that then my life would be complete. Then my life would be complete. Comparison is about status, where you fit, um, how you belong in society, with your friends, in your circles. It's all about status, wanting to, to maintain that status. Uh, and entitlement is all about identity. It's about who I am. I am entitled. This is me. Now, that's important um, to recognise that because there's things we all want, aren't they? We all want security. We all want contentment. We all want, um, you know, status. None of us aim to be at the top, but we certainly don't want to be at the bottom. Um, and our identity, we want a, a secure, strong sense of identity. Um, these are all things that are good and not bad, but how we achieve them is. So when we look to the parable here, in Luke's Gospel, in verse 16, uh, sorry, 15, Jesus says this, So he said to us, Beware, guard against every kind of greed. And then he says, Life is not measured by how much you own. Is that self-evident? Does that make sense? As people who've studied the Bible before, we might go, of course it makes sense. That's exactly what I would say. Um, but how, how do we live that out? Is, is that true for us? Are we suffering from greed or are we not? Do we answer those, those heart motives and desires through the hoarding, through overspending, through comparison? Do, do we, do, are those things still alive in our hearts? Because if we honestly believe life's not measured by how much you own, then they wouldn't be. I, I love psychology. When I was studying psychology, um, my, my favourite area to study in psychology is social psychology. This is where they grab you together, put you in a room and trick you. Uh, so they tell you to do something, but really they're, they're studying something else and, and they're trying to, to work out how people interact and how um, differences in people affect behaviour, different behaviours. I love it. Uh, there, there's 
multiple studies on this. In fact, um, psychology has been studying wealth and financial inequality and, and generosity and, and greed for decades now. And, and there's lots that they've found. Um, and consistently what they find is that wealthy people, people who earn more, uh, people who would consider, the, not even people who would consider themselves rich, people who in the, 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 the rat race think that they earn more, that you know, they're not poor, they're, they're in the top. What they consistently find that those who are wealthy tend to be greedier um, in, in games if they're, they're competing for, and there's plenty of studies on this, if they're, they're competing for prize money, that richer people will tend to cheat more, that in the workplace, those who are most likely to steal are rich people, might surprise you, uh, because they've got this sense of entitlement. Um, the, 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 the wealthy consistently are less generous than, than poorer people. They are less empathic and less compassionate towards those in need. Uh, this is just this consistent theme, that with wealth and money comes greater greed, negative behaviours, negative patterns. One, of my, uh, one such study, and this is a really simple one, um, even the type of car you drive can say something about you. There was an experiment where they set it up, they found a zebra crossing, and someone would stand just from the zebra crossing, sort of not, not looking, and then when cars would come, when they'd hit a particular mark, because so, they had to standardise it, when it hit a particular mark, they would step out as if they were to cross the crossing, and they would see what the car would do. Now, what they were measuring is where, what, what cheap cars and middle-class cars and expensive cars would do, how they would relate to, to people crossing. Now, who do you think stopped more? The poorer cars or the richer cars? That the poorer cars. In fact, if you've got a BMW heading your way, you've got a 50-50 chance whether they're going to stop. It's a 50-50 chance. That's incredible, isn't it? You know, if, if it's some beat-up Datsun from the 70s or something, they're going to stop every time for you. Um, but that BMW, that, that, that Porsche, that Ferrari, oh yeah, you watch, you take your life in your own hands if you step out in front of them. Even when they made eye contact with the driver, they kept driving. That's incredible. My favourite study in this area is the Monopoly study. Now, the Monopoly study, you can Google this, it's incredible. Uh, on YouTube, you can see the videos. What they did was they gathered people together and they paired them up. And they said, right, you're going to play a Monopoly game together. Just the two of you. Uh, there'll be player one, player two. And to decide who's who, we're just going to roll the dice. So they, they roll the dice and, yep, that decides who is player one, player two. Now, they get into the room and then they read the rules. So player one sits here, player two there. And so they read the rules. Now, it's normal Monopoly, apart from these three extra rules, that player one begins with twice the amount of money as player two. So um, it, they, they look down. They're not told this one. It's just that they look down there. It's like, oh, how many 500 bills have you got? Yeah. Oh, one. Oh, I've got three. <laughs> Fancy that. Um, rule number two. Every time they pass go... Player one gets twice as much. Instead of 200 for passing go, they get 400 for passing go. And rule number three, player one gets to roll two dice, player one only gets to roll one dice. So they get to go around the board a lot more times. Okay? There's three simple rules. It's obviously rigged from the very beginning. They know it's rigged. They know they're in a social experiment. They know they're being watched. 
And so they observe their behaviour. So you've got the rich player and the poor player. Now what happens is, it's fascinating, just in 15 minutes of play, what they find uh, happens is that the rich player starts to present different behaviours. So you know how you move your, your piece around the board in Monopoly? Yeah. So poor people move it like this. Rich people move it like this. <laughs> oh, look at me. Look how 30 squares I'm moving around. Rich people celebrate more. They're more demonstrative. When they get that chance and they win that beauty contest, like, yes! When someone gets sent to jail and the opposition are like, ha, ha! You know, they're enjoying it. They're more alive. They're more demonstrative. They're in your face. They become ruder. They start taunting. They start teasing the poor player, saying, well, uh, this game's gone. I don't know how you're going to come back from this. You know, this is just, uh, yeah, I think I've got this one in the bag. Um, they start teasing and taunting. There's a bowl of pretzels on the side. Now, do you think that bowl of pretzels is there because they're nice and they just want to make sure they don't get hungry in that 15 minutes? No, it's part of the experiment. They're wanting to see the difference between rich and poor and how they consume things. And what they find is that the rich players eat four times the amount of pretzels as the poor players. They sit there because they're entitled. And so what they find, they get to the end of the, the 15 minutes. It's only 15 minutes, mind you. They get to the end of the 15 minutes and they ask both player one, the rich player and the poor player, to reflect on their experience of the game. Now, when they come to the rich player, they ask them, you know, reflect on it. Oh, you know, it was blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, how... how what, what, what do you think determined the outcome of the game, they're asked. And I kid you not, as they're asked this question, 100% of them, and there were you know, over 100 games played, different, different couples, over 100% of them say, well, you know, I, I just think that the properties I bought and the choices I made uh, and the way I played the game, I think, had a, a big factor in it. Not one of them say... Well, you know, it was rigged from the start. Um, you know, really, when it comes down to it, I won because I won that roll of the dice at the start. Not, not one of them mentioned that. Uh, and the, the, those who were observing, those who had set up this experiment, make this observation. They, they believe they've caught on to something that is profound. They think they've found something that's profound. They think that they've found uh, something that is significant, not just for playing Monopoly, but significant for all of us that the richer you are, it changes your behaviour. That wealth blinds us. That that wealth makes us think more highly of ourselves. That that wealth makes us think we're better than others. That we make better choices. That it's our right and it's our entitlement to, to take and eat and devour and consume. And I think that says something to all of us. Uh, because we are the rich, aren't we? We are the wealthy. And if you are here last week, uh, you would have heard me say it, but I'll say it again. Greed is one of those insidious, subtle sins. I've never had anybody come to me and say, James, I struggle with greed. Can you help me? I've had people come and talk to me about pride and envy and uh, lust and... Um, gluttony and, and all sorts of other sins, within the seven deadly sins. But, but I've never ever had someone come and say, I'm struggling with greed. Why is that? Because it is so subtle. It is so subtle. 
we don't realise we're wealthy. We don't realise we're rich. We don't realise we're being greedy. What you need at that point is third-party perspective. You need someone else to come in and tell you, no, I think you're being greedy with that. Uh, There is nothing better than spending someone else's money. Isn't there? If I come to you and say, I've got this problem, um, and I had a friend do this. Um, my, my father's passed away, and um, I've inherited some money, um, and so I've, I've got some cash that's gone off the mortgage, but I've got these shares, and it's quite a significant shares, and I'm wondering what to do. Do I put it away and, and bequeath it, you know, is it a trust for the kids um, when they're older, or I'm actually thinking about um, sending my kids to an elite private school. We, cu- we couldn't normally afford that, but if I sell these shares, we'll be able to do that. And they came and just had this open conversation. They talked figures, they talked numbers, they talked amounts. And really, their hearts as I would say, I don't want to misuse this money. I recognise it's a gift. Um, I love God. I want to honour him with it. How might I do this? They actually opened up the conversation. And as he did this, all I was thinking to myself was, how rare is this? How rare is it to have this kind of conversation? I, I, I really haven't. I mean, I might talk to my, my wife about it. Um, and, and my question, just as a, something that came to mind this morning, was um, how many of us have those sorts of relationships? How many of us have third-party perspective? Some of you might say, well, yeah, I've got a wife. I've got a husband. Some of us might say that, and, and you, you might. Um, but beyond yourselves, how many of us pass? How many of us have that third-party perspective, that, that, that vulnerable open space where we can be open and talk about this stuff? Because we don't realise we're greedy and we don't realise the impact wealth has on us. Now, getting back to the parable, Jesus moves on with a story. If we look at uh, verse 16 to 17, It says, he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Now, now this guy has more than enough to meet his needs. Like, this guy's got abundance. This guy has more than enough. This guy's like us. We we can, we eat, we we sleep well. Um, We don't worry about where our next meal is, uh, majority of us. Uh, There are some who may, uh, but this guy doesn't. And so he's speaking to the majority of us here this morning, uh, Jesus. Uh, when he says uh, this parable. He goes on, 1819, this is the hoarding greed. Uh, this is, sorry, I'm not reading there, I'm reading my notes, not that. Then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all the wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink and be merry. So this is that kind of hoarding um, greed that, that we spoke about at the beginning. Um, I'm going to accumulate it all. It's not for anybody else. It's not for, to meet anybody else's interests or needs. This is just for myself so that I can sit back so I've got security. Uh, this is what he's talking about here. In verse 20, Jesus says, You fool, you will die this very night then who will get everything you worked for? Uh, that's a strong word, isn't it? You fool. But, but isn't it so easy to tear down that illusion that, that money can buy you security? Here he is saying, money will get me security. I can sit back and live the life. And yet Jesus simply just points out, you know, you fool. Can your money save you from death? 
you'll die this very night and it'll all be for nothing. What else does money not protect us from? What else does it not secure us from? Does it secure us from sickness and disease? There's an argument to say, well, yeah, wealth gives you greater access to, to medical care, to preventative medical services, to, um, to good health care. So, so money, yeah, absolutely can make us healthier. But having money in the bank doesn't stop you getting cancer. It hits the rich and the poor. It doesn't stop you from having a heart attack. In fact, I'd probably say richer people have more heart attacks than poor people. Um, I've looked at the stats on that, but you can fact check that one. Um, it doesn't stop you. Does money prevent you from, from strife in relationships? No. I think of the man who brought this, this, this demand to Jesus. Jesus, tell my brother to give me my fair share. I just think money here actually contributes to the problem. And in fact, social psychology points out to us what the Bible tells us already, that when money is our focus when we trust in it, when we put it first, things go wrong. We become less compassionate, less empathic, less generous. We become greedy, hoarders. We become entitled, self-entitled. Um, it, it's not good for us. And so it's foolish to think that money, that wealth will secure anything for you. And in verse 21... Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. And, and here is, is Jesus' main point. Um, even the world recognises that to, to pursue money and wealth is, is, and make it God is a terrible thing. Jesus himself says the same thing, you fool for doing it. What, what can it get you? But here he compares it to the thing that can provide security. Here he compares it to the thing that can bring contentment, that can bring status and identity that is secure and good and wholesome and healthy. Here he compares storing up earthly wealth with having a rich relationship with God. And, and it's interesting, as we look at social psychology, they have answers to this. Social psychology is really good at telling you what is, at observing people and behaviour but it's not very good at telling you how to fix it. If you want to look at, at what they say, they say, well, you know, to help a wealthy person to be as generous and, and, and compassionate as a, a poor person, it just takes a bit of education. If you just educate them a bit, if you expose them to some videos or to, some, to, to, to the life of a poor person, what is, if you can just show them and help them to understand, really most people will end up giving the same and being the same. Now, the only problem with that is that I don't want rich people to give like poor people. I want rich people to give and I want poor people to give like God gives. The world's problems are not going to go away. Inequality, financial inequality, and it is rising. I know you know this, um, you know, the, the, the rich... Uh, earn way more than the poor and that the divide is just growing and increasing. Uh, the way we overcome inequality is not by rich people giving like poor people, um, it's that we give like God. God's the only answer to this. And I want us to look at this, that the power of the gospel to overcome greed. 
Because when you look at the gospel, when you look at Jesus, I mean, just look at who he is. Look at what he gave up. When we look at the person of Jesus, we need to remember he had everything. Jesus had power. He had status. He had contentment. He had security. Everything in heaven. He was there. He had it made. Angels sang and worshipped him 24-7. He's been there since all of eternity. All things come from him. If he wants to create a new world, he can. He doesn't long or need for anything. And yet he gives that all up. He he gives divinity away um, and and comes down and is here on earth. Now, you Trinitarians will go, he didn't give his divinity away. He was still divine, okay? He was still God. Don't pick me up on small details. Um, But, you know, he gives all of that away to be born into a poor family in a poor part of town so that we might have rich relationship with God. He is so generous. He gives everything, doesn't he? He gives himself. Now, that's the kind of generosity, that's the kind of attitude we need to have. That everything I have is not for my benefit. I'm not to use it for my interests. I'm to use it for others. Jesus gave everything so that we might have a relationship with him. He didn't need us to have a relationship with him. He wasn't up there in heaven bored and lonely going, oh my goodness, there's nothing to do around here. I know, I'll go to earth. That'll keep me amused for three years. Um, uh, yeah, 33. Um, that's not what he... Can, sorry, 32. Details. Details, that's right. Don't pick me up, details. Um, he, he wasn't bored. He came and gave everything to us. And here we are, content with talking about our tithing, and, and we will talk about tithing, you know, because it's an important discipline. But when we think of the cross, what would happen if Jesus only gave 10% of his blood or 10% of his body? There you go, you can have this. There you go. Um, we wouldn't be saved. Jesus gave everything. He gave his life. That's the kind of generosity we're looking for. That's the type of generosity we're talking about. When we're thinking about who we want to be as people, we don't compare ourselves to the best givers here on earth. We compare ourselves to the ultimate giver and say, that's my goal. That's the life I want to live. That's where I want to go. And we can only do that because of who God is. When we go past this this parable, Jesus then goes on to say, uh, in the rest of chapter 12 in Luke's Gospel, he goes on to talk about, you know, do not worry about what you'll eat or drink. Do not worry about what you'll wear. Look at the, the lilies of the field. Look at the, the sparrows and the birds. Do they worry about what they eat and drink? No, no, no. You don't worry about those things. You worry about the kingdom and God will look after all of that. God will provide for you. And in verse 32, we read this incredible statement. It says, So don't be afraid, little flock. For it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. And when it says kingdom here, it's not just talking about eternal life in heaven. I don't care what happens to you on earth. So I'll, 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 here you go. I've got a nice place for you reserved. You know, how you get there, I don't know. But, and I don't care, really. It's, it's not God's attitude. So I'm giving you the kingdom. I'm giving you life. He cares about us here on this earth. And so he will provide for us. You don't have to worry about those things. Because God takes great delight, happiness. He's overjoyed to help you in your life. You don't have to worry about it. God will. He takes delight in doing so. And so here we've got this case where the gospel, where God provides all these things. So when we come back to the the, the reasons why we might pursue greed, why greed might become part of our life and our daily practice, we look back at the security, contentment, status, identity. These are all things that the gospel fulfills for us. 
It's the gospel that gives us our security, isn't it? God provides our security. He's the one who says, don't worry. It's all in my hands. You can't trust... Money proves to be a terrible ruler. In fact, if you have anything ruling your life, it will demand death from you. It will bring death. How can I say that? Because the Bible tells us. But you put anything, you make your spouse God of your life, you make money, you make your job, your career, you make your, your hobbies, your sports, your, your personal physique or fitness, you make any of those your God and it will bring death to your life. Now, but death is, is, is sin. It's an idolatry. And so it's going to have negative outcomes, negative impact in your life. The only thing you can have as number one in your life is God. When he is number one, everything else flows. Everything else. Then you can handle money as much as you want because you're fine. Because I don't need it for myself. I can give it back to God because he's number one. You can take anything and it's in proper perspective. God alone is the one treasure in your life. When he is number one, that doesn't demand death from you. He actually says, you know what? I'll die for you. I'll die so that you don't have to. So that you can have life. I'll bring life, not death. And so here in the gospel, he is our security. He is our contentment. He is our contentment. We long for nothing. Paul says, I've learned the secret to joy. Um, you know, to being content in all things. To, to know who I am in Christ. And so we come to our status. Who are we? Where do we fit? We are heirs to the king. We're we, we, we related to the ruler of the universe, the almighty powerful one. That's our status. We are connections, mate. We, we have high standing. And our identity, who are we really? We're not just heirs. We're not just um, part of a family, but we are beloved. We are children, dearly embraced by God. All these things speak to us. And when you are there, when you know that that's who you are, when you know that's what you have, when you know that's how you were thought of, when you know that that's where you belong, you don't need money to fulfill those things. And it's my belief, if we truly focus on that rich relationship with God, that we will become generous people. We will just be generous like God is. Is that what we want? I mean, I'm basically saying you can put your trust in something that's fleeting, that doesn't work. And not just the Bible saying that. Psychology says that. The world says that. It just doesn't work. Money never works. It leads you to being a greedy, selfish, entitled hoarder. It's the only outcome... We're not leaving things off the list there that's saying, oh, actually, no, 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 it can lead to this. And that doesn't mean every decision you make is selfish and greedy. <laughs> but it brings death. You choose God, you get an eternal security, eternal contentment, you get all of it guaranteed, promised, and it leads to good character. But are we willing to let go? Are we willing to let God first? Are we willing to pursue the kingdom first? Are we willing to let that third-party perspective in, to have those conversations, to go, hey, help me, because I know it's insidious, I know it's hidden, I know greed is subtle. Will you help me identify it and see? I hope so.
Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that uh, your word speaks truth and uh, the world might take a long time to catch up, uh, but it gets there and it will get there in the end because truth is truth. Uh, And money was never meant to rule us. Wealth and, and possessions were never meant to bring security. We're never meant to meet the desires of our heart. They're helpful and useful, but only if they're in their right place, only if they're submitted to you. And Father, we want to pray that that, that would be the case, that, that our hearts' desires would be met in you, that if there is greed within us, that you would help us to identify it, that, that Holy Spirit, uh, if what you say is true here, if Jesus is warning to beware of every kind of greed is true, and that we are to, to flee from sin. That, that the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't just let us hear these words, hear this story and not do anything about it. But as we go, as we continue to talk amongst our, uh, in, within our families, in our friendship groups, within our, our growth groups, uh, within our, our friendship circles, as we continue to talk, we pray, Lord, that you would help uh, to, to highlight this, uh, that you would help to, to bring awareness of our sin so that we might repent of it that we might turn again once more to you and embrace the fullness and the glory of the hope and the wonder of the gospel that is ours. Help us in this, we pray. Amen.